It's 9 o'clock on Friday morning at KETR, and that means it's time for North by Northeast, conversations that matter to Northeast Texas. It's a live call-in talk show, and this morning, we're going to be discussing Banned Books Week. That's next week. We'll be previewing the annual event, and joining us today will be Sarah Northam. She's head of research and instruction at Texas A&M University Commerce. We'll also be joined by Karen Roggenkamp. She's a professor in the Department of Literature and Languages at A&M Commerce. Next week is Banned Books Week, so do stick around. Should be a very interesting discussion. We'll be joining our guests soon, right after these headlines from NPR News. If it's time for a new car, donate the old one to KETR. Your vehicle donation supports the news, information, music, sports, severe weather coverage, and more that you love on KETR. If your vehicle qualifies, it'll be picked up and sold at auction, and proceeds will benefit this station. Call 855-KETR-123 for more information. This morning, we're going to be discussing Banned Books Week, which begins on Sunday. We'll talk about the annual event, and we'll also talk about the phenomenon of challenging and banning books. We'll define those terms and explore related topics. One of the things that we hope to do with this program is to treat issues that are challenging, issues on which reasonable people can disagree. I think almost all of us agree that there should be standards regarding what books are appropriate for schools and libraries and what books are not. But getting into specifics beyond that, that's when people can part ways with one another. So to explore these topics, we have three guests in the studio this morning. We have Sarah Northam. She is the head of research and instruction at the G Library at Texas A&M University Commerce. Also from A&M Commerce, we're joined by Karen Rogenkamp. She's a professor in the Department of Literature and Languages, and among her several specialties is the censorship of adolescent and children's literature. And we're also joined by one of uh, Dr. Rogenkamp's students, uh, Britt Beat, is in here with us today. Britt is a junior. Uh, she is an English major. She has a history minor. And we're bringing in uh, Ms. Beat this morning because, uh, of course, being an undergraduate, it hasn't been too very long since she was in high school and was uh, on the front lines of what high school students have access to and what they don't. So uh, we're very grateful that all of you took the time out of your Friday to join us. Welcome. And uh, I'm going to uh, kick it to... Uh, Sarah, first, uh, we're going to ask uh, Sarah to uh, introduce the topic for us and also talk about Banned Books Week because uh, it's an annual event and every year the A&M Commerce Library uh, does something to promote awareness of Banned Books Week. So we can talk about the event and we can also talk about banning books in general. 
So, Banned Books Week is basically, um, it was launched in 1982 to bring awareness to what, as you called it, the phenomenon of challenging and banning books that people found objectionable or they didn't necessarily agree with the content. And so, every year since then, um, annually, there's like a list of the top 10 banned or challenged books released. And some of the books that generally make that list are always really interesting. And it's funny because I... I first became aware of this when I was um, actually in grade school because I went to the library. I wanted to read the book, um, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and I was told I couldn't check it out. And I was like, well, why not? And they were like, well, you're too young to read that. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. I want to read it. You know, so it was kind of like an interesting thing to be told no over something that I just saw as like just a good book. Um but the idea behind Banned Books Week is to just raise awareness and, and to point out, you know, free and open access to information and to promote the idea that censorship kind of puts everybody in the dark. That's kind of the theme this year. Um, and that if you are limiting access to any kind of information, you're controlling what people know about. And, and, and Banned Books Week is kind of promoting this idea through literature. Well, uh, I would like to mention before we get any further into this that this is a live call-in show. I neglected to uh, remind folks of that at the beginning of this hour. So if you'd like to participate in the conversation this morning, you are welcome to do so. The number to call in is 800-882-5387. That's 1-800-882-KETR. And one other thing that I would like to point out is that uh, on the homepage of our website, KETR.org, we know that many of you, being that it's a little bit after 9 o'clock, are already uh, listening online. You're away from your radio, but you're at your computer, or perhaps you're listening on your smartphone. On the front page of KETR.org, one of the featured articles there on the front page, the headline is North by Northeast Interactive Banned Books Week. And if you click on that, uh, you can get uh, a link uh, in the uh, in the article there. There is uh, some linked text and the link will take you to the American Library Association's Banned and Challenged Books website. There is a very content rich website there uh, that the American Library Association has provided for folks who are curious. It talks all about Banned Books Week and it talks about uh, just the issue of banning books in general. So we'd like to encourage everybody who has access to uh, a computer or a mobile device to go online to KETR.org and follow along with us as you're listening to the conversation this morning. Uh, We encourage you to take a look at the American Library Association's special website on banned and challenged books. If you are listening on the radio uh, and are curious about the uh, URL for that, it's ALA.org and then slash advocacy slash B books. You can probably find it just from the main ALA.org website. That's American Library Association. And if you would like to call, again, the number is 800-882-5387. That's 1-800-882-KETR. Dr. Roggenkamp, er, Roggenkamp, 
Sorry, I'm I'm Teutonically <laughs> slow this morning with my German names. Dr. Rogenkamp, could you please uh, explain to me how you came to be a specialist in this area and the journey, the short version, of course, the journey of where your scholarship has taken you on this topic? Well, growing up, I was one of those kids that loved to read anything, everything, Um my exposure to banned books specifically probably began when my sister, a college student, gave me a collection of books that she said, you probably don't want to let mom see that you're reading these things. Um, it included Catcher in the Rye. I remember specifically just loving that. Um, it wasn't until after college, though, that I started my first job teaching in a middle school and ran the library. It was an independent school. And I really came to understand the purpose and importance of having books that challenged readers of that age. Um, ran into a few moments of discomfort with some parents, but there was nothing major. Um, when I took this job, one of the courses I was asked to teach was adolescent literature. And I decided of all the ways I wanted to approach that class... It was through the lens of censorship, and it's been one of my favorite classes to teach, um, and I think hopefully really helpful for students who are going into education as well. So what's, what's in the curriculum for that course? The books that we're reading for the semester, I forget how many we have, maybe about eight novels this term. Um, I've chosen books that are frequently banned and frequently used also in high school, middle school classrooms. So we'll have some big classics like uh, Catcher in the Rye, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, Huck Finn, and then also some that you might not be as aware of, like The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian, a graphic novel called Persepolis, um, just a variety of adolescent literature. What gets books challenged and banned? And so before we can answer that question, let's talk a little bit. There's a distinction between yes. challenged books and banned books, and uh, either one of y'all would like to field that? Okay. Challenged basically means that somebody has raised a concern. And so depending on what the process for that library is, it could be somebody submitting a form to the library. It could be somebody talking to the librarian. Um, and a lot of libraries have policies on how they handle this. So it could be that they take the form and then it's discussed or they review the content, etc. Banned means that the book has been removed from the collection and is not available for use. Um, and just to kind of give you a number... Um, just in 2018, there were 483 books challenged in the United States. So that's a little bit more than one a day. And some years, that number is a lot higher. Well, and I will say that number reflects those that we know about, yeah. because certainly not all challenges are reported yes. um, for a variety of reasons. So yeah. we can only assume that number is higher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So who presents these challenges and when we're talking about challenges we're talking about challenges to for the most part public libraries school libraries and school curricula yes and if we're looking at 
where the challenges are coming from. Um, the vast majority come from parents um, or administrators in the school. You don't really see challenges coming from students themselves, although it does happen. Um, but by and large, it's from adults if we're talking about adolescent literature in particular, mm -hmm. um, or children's literature, it's adults who want to control the content, mm -hmm. not just of what their child is reading, but of what other children are reading as well. Um, if we narrow in on that part of, of censorship. And if you take it out of the school system and look at public libraries more and more, it's groups of concerned citizens. So it's not necessarily challenges coming from individual people. It's challenges from groups that, again you know, want to kind of have books that they're concerned about analyzed and removed from the collection to control what people have access to. Let me play devil's advocate, as is often the role of the uh, host of a program like this. Are these necessarily bad things that people do? Is it not a worthwhile endeavor for a community to exercise control over what their children have access to? I mean, is this not just a part of the natural, organic uh, check and balance process that we have in a democratic society if for some reason a library or a school district is kind of going off the rails and they're following whatever is trendy in their profession and they're so deep in their own uh, subculture or microcosm that their standards are wildly incompatible with the standards of the community. Is this necessarily a problem that people from the community are saying, look, um, this is a, a bit too much. You know, we need to uh, we need to kind of take it down a notch and uh, get rid of uh, get rid of this content because it's it's completely at odds with our shared values as a community. I think that the issue comes from wanting to censor an entire community, an entire public community, rather than a parent concerned about what their child is reading and what goes on in their own family. Um, because obviously that's the right of any parent. They're allowed to decide what their child reads, what their child is exposed to. But when you take that to the level of nobody should read this, there's a danger in that. And I'll, I'll add that. I, I don't think it's inherently bad to have mm -hmm. curriculum looked at. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's it's my right as a parent to think and talk with my kids about what are they teaching you at that their school of yours? <laughs> and I've done that. Um, the problem is, though, when the few speak for the many and mm -hmm. the kind of citizens groups that you're talking about, Sarah, um, often those will have the facade of being this is everyone in the community that feels this way. Um and that's simply not the case. So the loudest voice gets the most attention. Mm -hmm. um, there are processes in place to have schools look at what's being taught or to think about what's being offered at a public library. Um, to say that, well, you know, this group can come in and decide for everyone and keep everyone on track. There's an inherent danger in that to me. Well, in... Another aspect of that is, you know, 
Yes, parents have the right to kind of review and look at what their children read. But censorship, censorship, what the heck? (laughs) Um, Censorship is a slippery slope, though, because then you get into this whole debate about who controls information and who's making those decisions. Mm -hmm. So what I think is valid information somebody else might disagree with and if i'm controlling what that person has access to then i'm preventing them from learning something Mm -hmm. you know so so again you know it's like a sense it's a slippery slope Mm -hmm. you're listening to north by northeast conversations that matter to northeast texas my name's mark haslett i'm the host of this program this morning we are discussing banned books week and banned books in general, the the topic uh, of uh, books in public libraries, school libraries, school curricula, those books being challenged and sometimes in some cases banned. Uh, we are joined this morning by Sarah Northam. She's the head of research and instruction at the library here on the campus of Texas A&M University Commerce. Also, uh, Karen Rogenkamp is a professor in the Department of Literature and Languages, and Britt Beat is one of Dr. Rogan Camp's students. She's a junior English major. And we have a caller, and uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, you can do so at 800-882-5387. That's 1-800-882-KETR. Going to the phones, we have a caller on the air. Good morning, Christy. Thanks for joining our conversation this morning. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. So, so go ahead. Question. My question is, what is a common theme that it's found in these banned books that people are so not wanting their children to, like, learn about, I guess? So what I've noticed um, from my time in Dr. Rogenkamp's class and just my personal experience, the most common themes I've seen are that the books are inappropriate because of language or sexuality um, or that they are, quote unquote, anti-Christian, anti-American, anti-capitalist, which is anti-American. And those sort of things are typically the things that that get enough uh, ire inspired to to get a community of parents together to try to ban a book and it does shift over time depending on where social concerns lie um i know in the 80s there were a whole bunch of books that were challenged uh, under the claim that they were occultist Mm -hmm. that they were satanic and that kind of coincides with sort of scares that were going on at the time about satanic ritualized killing and things like that right now we see a lot of books challenged for having lgbtq plus Mm -hmm. content and then additionally from that you know it it does go to things like profanity racism is something that's highly um called out right now um people you know um language and, and literature and viewpoints and things like that evolve over time and content changes what we find acceptable or what we are comfortable with changes and so now a lot of books that would be considered classic literature some people are discomforted by because of some of those themes so like if you take something like huckleberry finn you know that that book is something that everybody's familiar with but when you look at the content if you don't necessarily know the historical context of the book it's really discomforting to read especially if you're a young person um but at the same time, it also challenges us, and it 
it teaches us something about how things have changed and evolved and how we have grown as a society over time. You know, that's the beautiful thing about life is people, you know, change and mature and we become we have different viewpoints and we learn things as we go. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of different things that that put people, books on certain lists. You're listening to North by Northeast. It's Conversations That Matter to Northeast Texas, and we are discussing Banned Books and Banned Books Week. So definitely sexual content is something that can attract some negative attention, profanity as well, and racial content as well. And you mentioned, uh, Sarah, you mentioned Huckleberry Finn being one of the more obvious titles that people discuss when it comes to uh, the issue of challenging and banning books. That under scores uh, an aspect of this is- issue that makes it interesting to me personally i am typically interested in issues where uh, the typical left right political spectrum doesn't necessarily uh, it's not necessarily congruent with how people uh, feel about the issue. Uh, for example, you mes- mentioned topics of race. Uh, you could have situations where you have challenges coming from what people would say would be the political left. Uh, so we don't want to present this as a liberal conservative no. issue where Absolutely the conservatives not. are saying, no, you can't read this. Mm-hmm. And the uh, people mm-hmm. on the left are saying, yes, read everything. Because it's definitely not that simple. You can have uh, misogynistic content yes, where you would have both uh, people from the right and the left mm-hmm. uh, objecting to a title. Mm-hmm. And then you might have people from the right, right and the left defending that mm-hmm. same title, saying that it merits inclusion. But perhaps the reasons why they would say it merits inclusion would be completely different reasons. Mm-hmm. One people saying one, one group of people saying it, we should be looking at this because it illustrates something dark that we need to confront, and then other people saying, well, we we should look at this because oh, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. So uh, thank you very much, uh, Christy, for your call. And uh, if you can w- would like to join the conversation, you can do so by calling us at 800-882-5387. That's 1-800-882-K ETR. You're listening to North by Northeast on listener-supported radio for Northeast Texas. This is 88.9 KETR in Commerce. You're a listener of 88.9 KETR, but have never supported this station with a gift. Now is the time to become a new member. Members make the programming on KETR possible. When you become a member, you can know that you have made an audible difference right here in Northeast Texas. Go to KETR.org and click donate or call 903-886-5841 to become a member now. You're with listener-supported radio for Northeast Texas. This is 88.9 KETR, and this program is North by Northeast, conversations that matter to Northeast Texas. We're discussing banned books, and we're discussing Banned Books Week. And we're joined by Texas A&M University Commerce Director of Research and Instruction, Sarah Northam. Also, A&M Commerce Literature Professor, Dr. Karen Rogenkamp, and A&M Commerce Undergraduate, Britt Biet. 
and uh, we've been having a great discussion. We enjoyed the little Elvis Costello there. That he was banned from Saturday Night Live for performing that song in 1977. Uh, the record company and the Saturday Night Live people told him that he was supposed to play uh, Less Than Zero, which was his big hit at the time. He started into that song, played a few bars of it, and then <coughs> pulled the plug on it, told his band to play Radio Radio. They played it. He was banned from SNL for years. I think they finally let him back uh, in the uh, sometime in the uh, uh, late 1980s. He was allowed back on the program. So, uh, Sarah, we were talking about the reasons why people ban books, and I think you referred to uh, there's like a list or a catalog. Well, as part of Banned Books Week, you know, there's some great resources that are put out. And one of the resources that are put out every year is 10 Reasons Books Are Challenged and Banned that talks about the top reasons of why books were challenged for that year. And it, it kind of outlines what it is and then the, the top books in that category. And so it's always interesting to look and see because... I'm always surprised by some of the books that mm -hmm. make the list, you know, because it's, it's, sometimes it's stuff that you wouldn't necessarily expect, like Captain Underpants. Mm -hmm. I mean, Captain Underpants. I mean, it's Doing just a Jones. cute book. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, so I'm, I'm a librarian. I read a lot. I think there's some books that don't need to be read because they're not that great. Not necessarily because the content is bad, Stop. you know. <laughs> I am. I admit it, you know. That's like, if you want to read something like that, there's much better content out there. I'm trying not to say anything negative about certain books, you know, so I don't get called out by popular fans. But, you know, things like... You know, the books like The Color Purple, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Rogan can't mention To Kill a Mockingbird, The Hunger Games, mm -hmm. Twilight, um, Fifty Shades of Grey, mm -hmm. you know, which was like the hottest book among um, American housewives for like five years, you know. Um, the Bible has actually been challenged in several places. <laughs> um, so when you stop and think about it, the types of books also can reflect again the slippery slope that censorship can provide because when you look at the variety of books it's kind of surprising that is surprising indeed i i, I have questions about that but i also want to get to a caller uh we have uh, another a&m commerce student on the line destiny is calling in this morning destiny thank you so much for calling in and welcome to north by northeast absolutely yeah so my question was how can um Dr. Roman Camp as a professor, even as students, how can y'all promote the freedom to read when people get so disheartened and discouraged by the phrase like banned books? Like, how do you get these people to read these books or even want to read them? My my joke, and Britt, maybe you can answer this better, mm -hmm. but um, anytime you challenge a book and make it controversial, mm -hmm. that does great yeah. stuff for mm -hmm. the sales of that book. Oh, absolutely. Mark Twain famously. Um, Huck Finn has been challenged since the day it was published, although the reasons for having it challenged um, have changed over time. But when the first banning of his book occurred from the Concord, Massachusetts Public Library, um, his response was, score, you know, basically. Um, those idiots, I think he, he said, to paraphrase, have just assured another 25,000 copies of my mm -hmm. book will be sold. Um 
So I think the very fact that a book is challenged in some ironic way does encourage yeah. the reading of that book. Oh, definitely. I know that um, for me, if someone were to tell me when I was a teenager, you can't read this book, I would immediately say, oh, why? <laughs> and then I would say, I have to know now. <laughs> um, and it would definitely, which my mom was really great about. Um, she never sheltered me. She yeah. did not shelter me from anything because she would rather me ask her and ex and her explain than me to be in the dark until it was forced upon me so anything that i wanted to read i could read um and that was a really great experience and i really thank her for that because i got to be um educated about so many things at a very young age and I, I agree with that. You know, it's kind of human nature. If we're told we can't do something, we mm -hmm. immediately find a way to do it. And I was the same way. I I was, when I was young, I read books probably way beyond what I, you know, my reading level or my, mm -hmm. you know. And I was really fortunate because I mentioned scary stories, but there were a couple of other times where I went to the library to check out a book and was told no. And my mother finally went to the library and said, I will tell her what she can and can't read. Mm -hmm. Let her check it out. If I have a problem with it, I'll tell her she has to return it. But the other thing about books is there's a lot of things that maybe we're not comfortable asking people about. Mm -hmm. I know that I have learned so much from books. I mean, the, 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 the phrase, it opens your mind or it, it fills you with information. It's a true statement. So going back to Destiny's you know, question about promoting it, the whole idea behind Banned Books Week is basically to say, hey, somebody says you can't read this book. Why don't you go check it out? Yeah, exactly. And for me, growing up uh, queer in a very small town, very conservative town, there would have been so many things I would have felt so alone on if it weren't for the fact that I could read it in other places yeah. and find it in other places. And that definitely helped me as a teenager, I mean, stay afloat, honestly, because um, it's difficult when you feel completely alone and you feel like you're the only one who feels that way. What was the town? Uh, Wills Point, Texas. <laughs> Wills Point. We broadcast Wills Point. Good morning, Wills Point. Hey, guys. Point. <laughs> Britt's here. She's in college. She's doing great. Yeah. And she's on the radio. Mm -hmm. How about that? Uh, one, of the, one of the things that's interesting about the, this topic is how standards change. And there's an element of cultural relativism in it. Mm -hmm. And that's unavoidable really uh there's you mentioned uh the issue of mark twain why did the concord mass public library ban it the different reasons for the way uh, different reasons from the reasons that people object to it today absolutely so people weren't upset in the 1880s about the fact that the n-word was used liberally um in the book, they were upset that the narration had been handed over to an untutored, grammatically incorrect, uncouth 12-year-old boy, um, Huck Finn. And so here was a kid who stole things, who talked back, who was sacrilegious in some fundamental ways. 
And the feeling was that he was such a poor, poor role model for young readers that they should not be exposed to him. Um, that shifted over th- time, especially in the 20th century. By about mid-20th century, um, people started to say, yeah, it's not his behavior that's the problem. It's the language in the book that's highly detrimental. And therefore, this book should be banned. Uh, a question that I'd like to ask uh, has to do with school curricula. Uh, you mentioned uh, what uh, Britt mentioned earlier, uh, saying that parents have the right to, to, you know, decide what their children do and do not read. That's true, generally speaking. However, if something is part of a curriculum, it's part of the class that the kids in. If it's a required element within the curriculum, then if they choose to boycott it, uh, then their grade is going to suffer. Uh, And I know that in situations where you have uh, sex ed in schools, there's been a bit of kind of tap dancing and trying to compromise and saying, well, your kid can opt out of this, or we're not going to teach your kid this unless the parents sign a waiver and that sort of thing. Is this really possible when you're talking about curriculum design? Is is there a way to make everyone happy, or is it just going to be tough luck for some parties? There there are compromises, and the courts have held this up. I can't remember exact cases, but um, parents always have the right to say, my child, I don't want my child to read this book. Any good school district will have something in place whereby that child is given an alternative reading, Um, They miss out on class discussion, but that is kind of the compromise that on their own, then they can read what's deemed to be an equivalent uh, kind of book. Um, Sometimes parents will challenge that, but um, or that process, but that's kind of the best scenario that um, has been come up with for dealing with this. Sarah, how does that question apply to libraries? Well, most libraries actually have policies in place that, I guess, govern in a way um, who can have a library card. So a lot of libraries have a policy in place that if the person is under 18, that their library card is shared with their parents. And so that's one way that some libraries have have handled that because if the parent's responsible for checking out the books, then the idea is, is that the parent can kind of um, actively participate in what that person is reading. So um, in my experience, that's been a a way that a lot of public libraries have handled it. And then also, um, I've also seen where some libraries basically have a permission form signed that, um, that says, you know, I don't mind what my child checks out. They can have their own personal library card. So they offer like a level of control, I guess, in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, there there is acknowledgement that when you're a juvenile or something, you know, that there's still a role and that the parent really needs to be actively involved. I mean, and that's what you hope happens is that they're actively involved with their with their child. Dr. Uh, Rogan Camp, what are some of the things that your students have taught you over the course of uh, presenting this content to them? Because I'm sure that you've learned a lot from your students. Oh, too much to even pinpoint. Um, 
the the amount of energy they bring to the classroom and and sort of sometimes being amazed by why some things have been challenged um, always surprises me. Um, over the years, they've taught me just how incredibly aware they are about social issues, um, about the fundamental importance of reading. I'm, I'm thinking about what you said a few minutes ago about feeling alienated and needing reading as a resource to help you with things. Um, what they've taught me is sort of, they've bolstered my conviction uh, about the importance of this kind of literature and making sure that it's, you know, remains part of the curriculum. But the other thing I will say is that I've learned since moving to Texas 17 years ago um, and hearing about what things are censored also through textbook selection processes. I've learned a lot from them about what they feel they missed in their own education um, and about how they have not been as well prepared for college as they feel like they should have been, partly because of curriculum and you know, decisions made at the state level and having to do with what they read in textbooks as well. It's actually funny that you should mention that. Um, I will never forget sitting in one of my first history classes here at Commerce with Dr. Ricky Dobbs. And my mind was blown because in the very first lecture, everything I thought I knew about the Alamo, I was basically told was wrong. <laughs> you know, and that that's kind of um, it kind of hampers you, too, because, you know, that's like I'm the type of person that I am very self-conscious about feeling stupid. And so, when you're put, you know, when you're put in that position and you think, you know, everything and you're like, yeah, I'm educated on this. And then you're like, no, you're not. That's kind of bothersome to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I know that from a, a lot of a lot of people who went to Wells Point High School have come here to Commerce. Um, and I think that all of us could probably agree that because of how, let's say, sugar coated our teaching of history was, uh, we it was sort of a culture shock to come into a college setting where the brutal truth is a little more available um, and have to face these these facts about what really happened in our country versus the story that we hear. And you don't get that information at that level in high school unless you're actively seeking it. So there's a lot of things you have to unlearn before you can learn here. Um, and that definitely makes it challenging. And it's it's difficult, even on a personal level, to face those those contradictions to how you felt about your history and your, your country. Why is it, do y'all think, that textbooks don't get challenged anywhere near as much as works of fiction? Partly because of the process they yeah. go through. Um, the whole textbook issue in Texas is a whole other show. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we hope to address that in a future program. Especially when you look at the impact that the textbook selection process in Texas has on the United States. Yes. You know, basically... A textbook chosen in Texas is pretty much going to be used across the United States. Mm. Um, so, in other words, textbooks have already uh, been through a process yes. that would satisfy the type of people who typically challenge works of fiction. Right. Not to mention that you're probably not going to find rampant sexuality or profanity in a textbook so parents aren't as concerned because typically these challenges uh, come from parents seeing a couple of lines of 
profanity or a couple of lines of sacrilegious language or something like that and they think oh no 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 and and they're not going to hear that from a textbook i think there's like a level of assumption from parents Mm -hmm. that academic materials quote unquote would be up to par for their beliefs unless you're talking about science although you are if you think about like the last five years or so there have actually been quite a lot of challenges to textbooks mm-hmm. um i um a few years ago we did a program through the library called about Libertraficante, or i probably yeah but basically arizona told schools that they could not teach um mexican-american studies Oof. and pulled all of these books from the classrooms and made them unavailable. So it was like things like the house on Mango Street, you know. And so there was a group in Houston that they called it the under basically the underground book movement. They collected books for donations, drove them to Arizona and made them a play, available in places alternative to the school system. So like rec centers and things like that. And this group has still been actively involved in kind of challenging things like um, misinformation, I guess, in mm-hmm. textbooks. Um, I think a year ago there was a textbook being reviewed that really had some misrepresentations on certain communities and there was a there was a big outcry and there was a lot of public testimony and ultimately that book was not chosen because there were so many concerns from groups over how certain groups were represented or not or not represented Mm yeah so i think that you're probably going to start seeing more and more challenges to textbooks too it's just Mm -hmm. the process is a little bit tougher right we're speaking with Sarah Northam, Head of Research and Instruction at the Texas A&M University Commerce Library. Also, Dr. Karen Rogenkamp. She is an Associate Professor in the Department of Literature and Languages at A&M Commerce. And we're also joined by Britt Biet. She's a Junior English Major at A&M Commerce. The topic is Banned Books Week and Banning Books in General. There's still time to join the conversation. You can give us a call at 800-882-5387, one 800 888-KETR is the number to call. And also at the front page of KETR.org, there is a web post headlined North by Northeast Interactive Banned Books Week. If you look at the blurb there, not only do you see pictures of our guests, but you also find a link to the American Library Association's special website on banned and challenged books. So you can take a look at that while you're listening to our conversation. We have about nine minutes left in this hour, and I don't want to get through the entire program without mentioning what the A&M Commerce Library is doing for Banned Books Week, which begins on Sunday. So... Sarah, I hope I haven't put you on the spot. Well, actually, I have put you on the spot. So answer the question. Um, (laughs) We are actually putting together a book display um, and just highlighting some of the books that we have in our collection that have been challenged. And hopefully, hint, hint, students will come and check them out and see what they're all about. Yes, yes. Let's take a look. Uh, Do you remember off the top of your head any titles? 
No, because I'm still working on it. <laughs> that's my project for tonight. Okay, well, that's all right. It's September on a college campus, so we're all kind of running ragged and uh, doing work uh, that's due the following day, the night oh, yeah. before. I do know that scary stories to tell in the dark will not be on that because it's already checked out because uh-huh. I wanted to bring it with me today so I could like read one of my favorite things from the book, you know, the the, the cemetery song, but... Somebody's got it. <laughs> why was why is this book a, an object of controversy? Basically, it goes back to content. I mean, it's um, when it was originally published, and there's actually a great documentary um, that was just released talking about this book and kind of the phenomenon it had in the '80s. But it goes back, um, as Dr. Rogan Camp said earlier, like things going on in the '80s around like Satanism and witchcraft and stuff. And it was a book of old folk tales, like you know. Um, the old man's toe and um, the cemeteries or the the hearse song that's mm-hmm. what it was um, and they were basically morality tales but they were told in a kind of like um, a scary manner and children loved them it became like one of the most popular books for several years running mm-hmm. but in conjunction with those stories there were also like these really fantastic illustrations that kind of highlighted what the story was about and it just it literally became this phenomenon and they were published about the time i think i was in i don't want to age myself but anyways i was young when they came out and i remember checking them out and and reading it and i was like i need more and and so anybody around my age if you mention that book they've Mm -hmm. probably heard of it and they've probably read it so i'm very happy that it's currently checked out On the uh, American Library Association's banned book section, it talks about the reasons for book challenges. And there's there's all kinds of free downloads with these wonderful infographics. So those of you who are social media types on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, so forth, if you're interested in sharing these Instagraphics, I mean, these these infographics, uh, there's all kinds of uh, fun ones that you can share uh, with your uh, friends and followers online. Right now, I'm looking at the one. uh, It's a visual representation of the reasons for book challenges. And, of course, issues of gender and sexuality are uh, right at the top. Political viewpoint is large. Sexually explicit, of course, that's always going to be a concern. Something that I'm not seeing is violence. (laughs) <laughs> apparently as a culture violence is fine yeah it's, i mean i, I it's, kind it's of there it, yeah. but not it's really really tiny. it's in micro letters yeah. so you know having loving consensual sex that's beyond the oh, pale offensive not. but being dismembered yeah. brutally yeah. and graphic the head with a hammer either. yeah that's that's fine yeah, that's yeah. okay We're that's okay that's with that. that's that's not going to hurt my kid at all if he is saturated with images like that yes. <laughs> so ha- has the issue of uh this cultural relativism, I'm sure, uh, Sarah, uh, Karen, in y'all's classes, mm-hmm. you've discussed how these standards vary from one cultural context to the next. So have y'all been able to uh, satisfy your curiosity <laughs> that like you and figure out is is there a way to kind of get around that and, and uh, get past everybody's relativism or is it inherently built into the issue? Well, I think I, if I'm answering your question, following your 
question correctly, um, one thing, I mean, I think you see, especially in a historical novel like Huck Finn or To Kill a Mockingbird, that the issue of, you know, what is offensive in one age versus another comes up. And um, in the classroom, it's so important to think about controversial literature within the context of publication and readership and authorship. Um, that goes a long way in helping us sort of set aside our kind of knee-jerk reactions that we might have to a particular text and understand, okay, what's going on here? What can we learn about the audience's expectations, the author's expectations? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can speak yeah. more specifically to that. But um, and I think that in the same way that literature, like contemporary literature teaches us about our current culture, the reasons literature is challenged at the time also teaches us about our culture like what are we concerned about right now um that's i mean that's exactly why the issue of uh gender and gender expression and gender identity is at the top of the list because it's such a hot button issue same as politics and um you know all of that um so i think that there's always going to be an issue of banning and challenging books because there's always going to be a cultural phenomenon going on that is going to be changing because we're constantly changing as a society. I think one of our students, one of my students last week brought this up, you Mm -hmm. know, will there ever be a time when books aren't challenged? I don't think Um, so. I I agree. I don't think so either. Well, in some ways that that could also be a good thing. And this might be a weird viewpoint because that means that we as a society are constantly evolving and learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. We have been speaking with Sarah Northam from the A&M Commerce Library and Karen Rogenkamp from the Department of Literature and Languages and Britt Biet, who is also in her own way from the Department of Literature and Languages. She's an English major at A&M Commerce. We've been talking about Banned Books Week, which... Uh, Sarah will be working busily over the weekend, preparing everything that the library will be uh, presenting to students during the course of Band Books Week, which begins on Sunday. Real quick, you had something. We're fixing to be done. And I'm just going to put a plug in. Even if we don't have a particular book on the Band Books list, we can get it through Interlibrary Loan. We love Interlibrary Loan. Yes, we do. You've been listening to North by Northeast, conversations that matter to Northeast Texas. I'm your host, Mark Haslett. And do tune in next week. You're with listener support. 88.9 KETR in commerce.